This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I'm April Martini. And today we're going to talk social strategy. In this new world, many of you have taken to social channels to compensate for other channels that may have been cut off due to COVID. And add this to the folks who are already on there, and now we have absolute mass chaos. It is seriously like LA during rush hour. And unfortunately, most businesses are getting sucked into the chaos versus really being able to rise above it and being heard. So from Facebook to Instagram to Pinterest to LinkedIn, the objective is really to build an engaged audience who become word-of-mouth advocates for your business. And the secret to this is an informed social strategy. And why do we do this and how do we know this? Because you can reverse engineer successful social channels back to their strategy. But don't worry because you can't easily copy somebody else's, even though many people try to, because a good social strategy is inherently tied to your branding elements and story. So if really done well, it's unique to you. But many are really being very cavalier with said social channels, and that's unfortunate because then you're really undermining the, its ability to really work very strongly for you as a marketing channel. And then people get frustrated because it isn't working. Or they just kind of put it up there and maybe hope that it works on its own, but it just doesn't activate that way. You have to really be intentional in how you cultivate your social channels. Yes, and I would 1,000% reinforce that. I mean, I think a lot of the work Ann and I have done and gotten to this year is around helping people develop their informed social strategies. So, of course, reach out if you'd like help in that area. And I think the reason for that is because so much is happening more online and people are realizing and comparing themselves to others in their field and seeing, well, wait a minute, why is mine not working? And every single time, it's because things are just being thrown up there or a me too strategy is implemented to Anne's point about trying to copy someone else, but it doesn't come across authentically. I mean, we could go about all the different things that have happened. I could go on forever, but it is just completely imperative that you set your strategy, you do it against your brand. And if you can't do it yourself and you don't have the time, then you need to hire someone. That's how serious we are about this entire issue. If you're not going to do it or you think, mm, I'm not really sure what I'm doing or I'm not willing to you know, bite that one off and I have too many other things going on, then hire someone that does it for a living. And of course, stay connected and make sure that what's being posted is you know, the type of message you want out there or the correct information, all of those types of things. But it's important to have the right person doing that. And then the other thing we always say is, even if you aren't going to do it yourself, that really does not give you an out. You have to be able to talk about these channels intelligently and be in the know, as we like to say, because conversations inevitably are going to arise. And if you're any kind of marketer and you don't have the language to speak about social, you're going to get caught. And people are going to look at you differently. It's just part of the toolkit you need to have and the information you need to have now as a marketer. Yep, I totally agree. And that's part of developing your marketing smarts is being able to talk shop. And that's really, really imperative. So you can make sure that you're doing what's best for your business. And really, I want to also make a caveat to you about YouTube because we get asked a ton about YouTube. 
we're YouTube is a quote unquote social channel, but it's more of a digital channel. It's more of a repository for content that's more of you putting yourself out there to other people. So there's some of what we are going to talk about does apply to YouTube, but it doesn't operate the same way. And so if you actually need a YouTube channel and you're going to develop uh, your content against your YouTube channel, that's a different strategy for a different day. And we, we most certainly can talk about that um, at some point. Um, either you guys can call us directly or we can maybe do an episode on YouTube specifically. But just wanted to throw that out there in case you're wondering or waiting for YouTube. Um, so with that, we are going to jump into the four elements of every successful social strategy. The first one is brand story and elements that embrace your business why. Yes, and this is the one I always take. For those of you that have been listening, you know this is my background. This is where my passion lies, is really in making sure that you get the story right. And we talk all the time about developing your why and making sure that people know why they want you and then being willing to connect with you. If you do not have this set, you will not be able to connect with your consumers. We are 100% certain of that because to Anne's point, there is so much out there today and quite frankly, so many people doing it badly and just saying, well, I need to be in the space, so I'll post and it doesn't matter what I post, right? That is completely wrong. And in some cases, we feel like you may do more harm than actual good if you're just posting arbitrarily. So really make sure that you define that why, you define that brand story, and then We've talked about developing your toolkit, and that's the next thing you really need to do. So you've heard me talk about logo and color palette and font and photography choices and typography and iconography, all those things. You really have to have both visually and verbally yourself set up to go and do a social strategy because to Anne's point, if you're doing it well, you are taking that thread of your story and telling it in your way that no one else can then replicate. And this is really what we consider to be the gold. When you get to that point where you're communicating, you're getting engagement, you're seeing responses, you know, people are clicking like, they're sharing your posts, that's obviously the ultimate goal, right? And so all of those foundational elements, while we often get pushback from people of, well, I don't really want to stop and do that stuff. Again, this is another place where if you don't have it, you're going to come back at some point, like many people have this year, and say, well, why isn't mine working? And I'm going to guarantee that's the reason why. And we always like to give an example. So the one that we always come back to and we love is Nike. Um, If you haven't read Shoe Dog, we highly recommend that you do that. And Ann and I actually just refreshed with a recent podcast we heard. So they're top of mind, but they really are best in class Um, from everything from that Nike swoosh to the Just Do It tagline. I mean, we say that word and you can visualize that brand. And it's because it's been done so intentionally for so long that they can have the flexibility to change to different offerings and bring in new people and all of those types of things, but still maintain a consistency and an authenticity that delivers on their foundational um, message, which is really that when you put on their stuff, you're an athlete. The manifestation of that brand, if you don't know, started really targeting, you know, kind of the super elite athletes. And as the the brand and business progressed, they realized that wasn't going to be sustainable because there's only so many of them out there, right? And so the pivot was made And they didn't alienate those audiences. As you can see, professional football players wearing Nike. I mean, there's definitely a professional element to it. But now it is 
part of the masses in a way that we aspire to be like those athletes and feel that power when we wear whatever the elements are, whether you're a runner or, you know, a football player, like I said, or a baseball player. I mean, they have all the stuff for all the sports for any type of athlete. And everyone is an athlete when they wear Nike. Yeah. And I think what that does, especially for their social, is it allows them to be more emotionally engaging. So it's not just about the performance, although performance is a key pillar. And we're going to get into consumers and pillars here in a second as the second point. But it's it, it, it's there's really an element of emotional connection. And we've talked a lot about that, about branding, that it's not just about what you do. It's how you do it and how you make people feel in response to what you do. And they really, really embrace that. I, when I looked at their social channels recently, I believe, if I recall right, their social channels are all about the people of mm-hmm. Nike. Mm-hmm. So it's the, you know, there's a channel for the women of Nike, and, and they're really starting to celebrate who people are and who are representative of their brand in, in, in them, and using that to kind of create their brand equity as a result. So you're not going to go in there and you're not going to see just everything about their shoes or just streams of thought about whatever they think is important for the day. You're going to see a very concerted effort to focus on who they believe are the people of Nike and really embracing that so you can feel inspired to be part of that group. Yes, and I think that's a really good way to not feel salesy in a social approach, too. I think that communicates a certain authenticity about who they are and where they're willing to be vulnerable to bring their actual people forward and celebrate them, not just the brand and the gear. And to Anne's point, whatever their random message of the day is, it's a very concerted effort to be very thoughtful and very authentic. And it's the spirit behind it, too, right? And you'll notice, too— uh, that there's intentionality behind how they use each channel. Yes. So you can tell they're very Instagram-led. They're very Twitter-led. Facebook is kind of a follow, and we're going to get into that here in a second, too. And that's okay as a strategy as long as it's intentionally driven that way and you're creating the content for the right channel. So Instagram is a lot more pictorial. A picture tells a thousand words. It's more of that um, kind of the snapshot. Facebook is a little bit more newsy. It's a little bit more um, what's going on in a more database format. LinkedIn's more business oriented. So it's really important to think about your brand story and how your brand story and your tone of voice is going to shift and how the style is going to shift across each one of the channels. Because another one of the biggest mistakes we see people make is just to mirror from one channel to the next without really intentionally thinking about, is that the right thing for my brand or should I have specific um, offerings for each one of those uh, those channels? And what that's a interesting uh, concept to think about because it's really stylistically trying to gear towards your consumer, which is leading to the second point, which the second uh, element of a very successful social strategy is having a defined audience and content pillars designed to attract the right consumer. So here you are trying to define who you're trying to reach, and you're trying to define them in a way that's very clear and articulated like you would describe a friend. And why that's important is because you have to figure out what people want to hear uh, from you on those specific channels. So like I said, Instagram is more of a picture tells a thousand words uh, kind of format. So the the content you put on there needs to be very photographic, and it needs to be relevant back to your brand. 
But in that kind of from that kind of context, too, you need to think about what kind of content that needs to be. What does it need to represent? What is it? What are they going to want from you that they can't get from anybody else? That's part of your your branding. So think about each channel and each consumer as kind of a personification of your brand. So what makes that you know human connection going to work? Because really, that's what your social channel is, is a facilitation of a relationship, a two-way relationship that you want to put something out there, you want them to engage back, and you want to create that emotional connection. So really think about who your consumers are, where are they in your social channels? What kind of content did they really want to hear from you? When is the best time to actually give them that content and start developing your strategy around that? Yes, and I just want to reinforce a few of the things that Anne said because I think they're so important. We talk about the fact that you should be able to define your consumers as a friend. And that is really critically important because it what it means is you have to know them so well that you can anticipate their wants and needs without them telling you that. And I think in the world of brands that really do truly serve and deliver what their consumers are looking for, it's because they do have that really deep understanding. And we're not talking about demographics or, you know, things like age or 60% of our consumers are female or they all live in the city. Those are not the types of things we're talking about. What we're talking about is what is really very meaningful to the select group of people that you are serving, which brings me to my next point. And it's if you don't do this and you try to be a brand for everyone, you are going to serve no one, literally. And this is another mistake that we see happen pretty often where people think, again, I just have to be in the social space. So I'll just put out anything. And when that doesn't connect, it doesn't land. And that's because there's no definition of who they're trying to target. Right. And that's going to allow you to get a lot more specific on your content pillars, too. So when we're talking about content pillars, for example, if you are a beauty brand, obviously, you're going to have some sort of pillar that relates to beauty. But Beauty is a very broad pillar. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So then you have to think about, okay, what kind of beauty? What's my point of view about beauty? And so what kind of content do I want to consistently put out on beauty that my consumer in my channel is going to appreciate? So maybe in that case, you're all about aging gracefully without surgery, or maybe it's about promoting cell uh, turnover for radiant skin, or maybe it's diminishing blemishes in order to instill peak confidence. All of these have a specific lens for which you are uh, creating your beauty content and doing it in a way that your consumers are going to appreciate that from you in a way that they can't get it from somebody else, right? So that's why it's really, really important to consider your consumer, consider the channel, and then consider the type of content that's going to really emotionally connect and not just be all about what you do. And the other point we wanted to make here, too, um, and this is kind of a big aha for a lot of the, our clients that we talk to, is if you actually looked at your analytics, which a lot of our businesses unfortunately don't do, you'll see that most of your posts, even if you have a sizable following, will only get maybe 5% at the most if you're lucky, 10% organic reach. And so what you're also going to want to start looking for is posts that are doing well organically that you'll be able to put some paid behind in order to boost them so you can reach a broader audience. And 
That is a absolute racket. It's designed intentionally that way by our friends at Facebook, but it's a game that you need to play in order to win at your at the social game. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but it's really important to recognize that that is part of the social strategy: is what to boost and when to boost it. Which leads to the third element of a successful social strategy, which is a conversation calendar that maps out the plan. And what this is, is literally what I just said. It's actually you create a calendar, the days of the month, and you start laying out your sample posts that are going to connect with your consumers. And what this allows you to see visually is, one, what everything is going to look like in a feed or an Instagram quilt, but also allows you to see, do you sufficiently reach each consumer in a, a across your content pillars in a way that's sufficient? And what it also helps you see is, are you skewing one way or the other? So for example, what we tend to see a lot on um, our client sites is that they tend to skew very promotional. They're all about the, the latest deal. They're all, all about like what you can get you know, with this coupon. And, and that's fine if you're a deal-led site, but it's not fine if you're trying to build your brand. And most of you guys are trying to build your brand. You're trying to get that engagement. You're trying to get that reputation. You're trying to build that credibility. So if you're very led by just your promotional posts about what's going on in your business, you're missing a whole bit of, uh, of, of social engagement that's necessary in order to make this a marketing channel that really, really works for you. So really think about consciously what is going to be shareable content for each one of your consumers in each one of the pillars. And really shareable content is something that is of value. It's something that can be promotional, that could definitely be one of the ways that you engage your consumer, but it's also content that could be entertaining and content that could be insightful, moving, something that's going to compel them to say, hey, this is meaning something to me in a way that is above and beyond that I feel compelled to share or I, I feel compelled to engage. Yes. And I would just, you know, kind of add to that in two ways. One is I think the deal thing, just be really careful about that. Um, you know, I think it's a good way to get quick engagement, but it also can dilute your brand pretty quickly. And we have, you know, a, several clients right now in the aesthetic space and they're pretty adamantly opposed to doing that because it immediately devalues and makes you think that you're looking for some kind of, you know, cheap way to do it, right? And so that's, you know, just one key point is it can seem like a good idea and really easy in a way to get some of those analytics and say, look, so many people cashed it in, but in the long run, it's going to do some damage to your brand. The second thing that I would say is, after you create your content, go back to your brand toolkit and your brand story, which was our first point here today, right? And make sure that the things you're posting are led through the verbal and visual cues of the brand. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you know, Halloween was recent, right? So lots of brands, we saw them posting about Halloween, but there were mistakes across the board, and they all led back to the fact that they weren't linked to the brand voice or the brand character. And in, in some ways, they were just completely irrelevant to what the brand was trying to do anyway. It went completely against the grain. So that is your checks and balances. That toolkit becomes your playbook, your, your Bible, your flight plan, whatever you want to call it. All of those references you'll hear us use. 
And it is really true. If you're going to do it right, once you have that calendar, just go back and make sure that everything feels on brand. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that happens a ton with cultural happenings. It Mm -hmm. happens a ton with something that is going on um, from a socio standpoint, you name it. It's really, really important that whatever you post has a point of view that links back to your brand. And remember that once you put it out there, you can't take it back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so you better be very clear that it's aligned and you better be very clear that it's something that you're willing to support um, and think about it uh, in, in those contexts. And, you know, I just took it to one of, uh, you know, a, a couple of topics that a lot of people uh, we've seen recently I'd like to post about which would be politics and um, all of the, the the racial happenings, which is fine if it is something that your brand is going to stand behind and you're willing to take that that position on it. So be very careful when you get to some of these areas because you have to remember that your social channels for your business are linked back to your business. So one of the mistakes that we see people make is they run their personal agenda through their social and you can't do that. Once you have a business to establish, you have to reflect the business in the business's brand above and beyond your own unless they are so intrinsically linked that you're willing to stand behind it. Definitely. Really good point and very timely, especially given the the climate we're in right now, if you will. Yeah. So the fourth element of a successful social strategy is success criteria specific enough to track progress and business impact. Yes. And you heard Ann say people aren't using their analytics and they 100% should. And I we continue to be just completely stunned, you know, that those tools are, are built into social and they're a really good way to see what's working for you. So number one take a look at the analytics. And then you can build your success criteria, one, based on what you're seeing or where you're seeing gaps, or based on your business goals or all three. So if you feel like, man, I just really don't have the awareness that I need, then you're going to be concerned with your reach. Overall, how many people are you touching, how often, and then what's happening as a result of that. You might want to have something in this instance, like a call to action, you know, share with a friend or, you know, a what do you think of this or a survey attached to a post where you can go in even beyond just the post itself to something like, let's say, a survey monkey where you can see how many people completed it or those types of things. So and we've talked about testing and learning before, and that's important. But in addition to that, you want to make sure that you have KPIs, key performance indicators set up that you're going to evaluate your social strategy against that should all be grounded in your business and what you're trying to achieve as a result of that. Um, I think you really want to work toward building community and that happens as the brand matures. And the best thing you can see on social channels are your people interacting with each other, kind of taking the conversation, not needing it to be fueled by you, not needing every response and comment to come from you. I mean, that's really where you know you've hit a good stride is when you've built a place for people to come and talk to each other. 
So that's another element to think about. Um, and part of that strategy really involves user, user-generated user content, which is where you're asking the people in your community to create or do something that then allows you to have additional content beyond just stuff that your brand needs to build. And I think this builds a certain level of credibility and authenticity beyond just the brand itself. This is another reason we don't recommend a lot of promotional stuff on your social. It really wants to be stuff geared toward what the consumer is looking for on a deeper level. But that user-generated content gets you to a place where you can tell if people are really feeling passionate enough about you to create content on your behalf and post it there. And when you go back to your analytics, again, because you have set up those KPIs, you know how you're doing. But then also look for trends and things that are working well and don't be afraid to pivot whatever those are. I mean, don't totally trash your strategy. Don't, you know, say, well, I don't want to work on business results anymore. I'll just see how many people I can get to follow me. No, that's not the type of stuff that we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is if you have a situation where you're like, man, like in the beauty example, you know, I talked about eyeliners last week and it just exploded. And now I have 30 people having a conversation about which one they like and they're sharing, you know, pictures of themselves, all of those types of things. Go with with it when that stuff happens and really embrace it and pivot your strategy as needed. And again, I mentioned testing and learning. Don't be afraid to do it. Anne's right. The content doesn't go away. So don't put anything out there that you just feel terrible about, of course. Uh, but also know that you know you can kind of pivot and, and change things and go in a different direction really easily because you have these tools at your fingertips. Yeah, and you made a very good point about engagement as well, because again, this is a two-way conversation. So if you're just putting stuff out there and you are not inviting people to react or engage, you're going to have a very passive-based social channels. where, mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, it, it, that can work where people are just going and they're just kind of looking. But really to create the kind of dynamic you need in order for the algorithms to actually um, reward you, you have to get the engagements. You have to get the likes, the shares, uh, and, and all of those, uh, or the comments, and all those special engagement metrics in order to really set yourself up in the algorithms. So try different calls to action, like CTAs, like April suggested, whether, you know, UGC, share with a friend. And then also respond back to people when mm-hmm. they actually share. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a two-way conversation. You have to have somebody who is monitoring your channels who is going to engage. Like, And if it's not going to be you, then you need to hire a social media manager who's going to do that. It doesn't have to be a full-time person. It, it doesn't have to be a lot of hours. It can be a very affordable thing. But you have somebody who is looking at that, as well as looking for people who are asking questions. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will direct message you through your site. If you're not up on that, then you're going to miss those things. And those are really big opportunities to capture leads and to answer questions and to really sell your business and yourself through your social channels. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So those are the four elements of a successful social strategy. And for our next section, we're going to go into the in the trenches questions. And these are the questions that we've heard the most commonly from our uh, clients or or just in the in the environment that we're in. And it's our opportunity to go a little bit deeper into specific topics. Um, so we will uh, talk about specific elements of some social strategies, but we'll try to uh, also share how those can be connected to different industries, even though um, some of the, and actually a lot of the content will, and a lot of the responses will travel across different industries and different sized businesses. 
Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. So for the first in the trench question, April, why don't you take this one? Sure. So my social media agency doesn't do any of this. Should I expect them to? And when we say do any of this, we're talking about all of the things that we just outlined for you with regard to setting a strategy behind your social. So there are tons of social agencies out there. And that makes sense because everyone's trying to get into social, right? They are very good. Well, the good ones are very good practitioners of the channels and what works within the channels. And I want to start there because one of the things we see happening is on our side of the work, we talk strategy. On their side of the work, they talk strategy. But it actually means two very different things. So you just heard Ann and me talk all about how you build content pillars against your brand. You make sure your brand story is right. You do the hard work to figure out who your consumer targets are. You think about how to emotionally engage with your audience. That is all through the lens of your brand. A social agency is going to take that work and translate it by channel to most effectively use the channel. And I had a really interesting conversation recently as Anne and I have, like we said, had a lot of this work and we're sourcing new partners and people that will actually do the execution, which is kind of where ours stops, right? We stop at the the content calendar typically and would hand that off to someone and say, okay, here's here's the way we want this done. Here's the work we want you to do. And now you're going to take it month to month. And what she said to me was, I am never, as your social agency, going to tell you what to post or what not to post based on the lens of the brand. I'm going to tell you things not to post based on the channel and what doesn't work there. And I think that is a really good delineation between the work we're asking you to do to get your social strategy right before you ever go and execute on social. Unfortunately, there is, I would say, a gap in understanding in the importance of your social strategy or fill in the blank, the patience to do it or, you know, the reason to stop and take a step back and think about that content calendar through the lens of brand. I mean, all of those types of things. And you shouldn't expect the person that's going to be your social poster, let's say, your social agency. manager. Yeah, yeah, your social manager. The person that's going to actually put the stuff out there, they're really good at the craft of making posts. And so that's their job and that's what they should do. And they will do it to the best of the channel's ability. But without those brand elements, they're not going to be able to effectively help you do all the things we just talked about. Connect with your audience, stand out as a brand, deliver a unique message, be unlike everybody else, be authentically who you are so people keep coming back. All of those things, you're going to be missing a key component behind what you're trying to represent as a business and brand. Yeah, so I think as an example of that, what we were starting to see a lot on Instagram, and I think it's still 
still going on is a lot of personal mm-hmm. uh, reflections, if you will, um, really long personal reflections, <laughs> if you will. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of people who have asked us, you know, is this like, you know, the way that Instagram is going? It's like, well, not really, Mm-mm. but it works for some people. Um, and that is a stylistic element that works for their channel based on their following that they have and, and what they appreciate and expect from them. And so what you might see is a social media manager, social media agency might say, oh, personal reflections are are big. They're popular. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's working for all these people. And, you know, and if even if you want to try it, you know, and, and see, they can't tell you how to reflect that back into your brand. Mm-hmm. They'll just tell you like that that is a common practice. Even, you know, that's what we're starting to see in Instagram. Like again, we say we don't think that's actually the trend. It's working for a few people. Just so, just want to caveat that. But you, you know, you'd have to be, you'd be responsible for creating that content yourself. Mm-hmm. And without a strategy, it's really hard to figure out what is my personal reflection, and is that even content that my you know, consumers are going to hear from me? And if they do, then what content pillar should I anchor that underneath? And so. That is why the structure and the playbook are so important because it allows you to have that that filter and that reference in order to create good content. Yes. And you just heard Anne say, right, that's a tactic and a trend in the space. And mm-hmm. so that has nothing to do really with your brand. And that's the kind of stuff that I think you can expect in the expertise of the social agency or the social you know, community manager or whatever. They'll bring you those things and they're not necessarily bad, but you have to have a way to then make that your own or say that's definitely not the way that I should go, right? If you're a brand that's all about fun and someone states to you that the trend is all these really deep reflections and you know thoughtful things are, are on trend, but you're all about fun, that kind of goes against the grain of what you're trying to do, right? If you're fun, you're light, you know, there's a levity to your brand. People interact with you because they want to, let's say, laugh or feel good or whatever. If you're bringing these like very deep musings to them, (laughs) they're going to be like scratching their heads of where did that come from? So to Anne's point, it might work for some and it definitely is popping up and there's lots of motivation, self-help, all that is a big category and trend right now. And so that's the manifestation you're seeing in those spaces. But again, just remember the caution, it might not be right for you. Yeah, and filter it according to your brand for sure. Okay, so then the second question, when should I use paid to boost a post? And so we come back to this. um, And this is, again, a really fundamental part of the social strategy. And a lot of people and a lot of businesses overlook this because it seems a little confusing or they're not quite sure how to do it. It's actually very simple. So all you have to do is go into a post. It says, would you like to boost it? I think there's just a button or icon. You push on that button. It allows you to actually um, filter down to find the right audience for you. So you can do it by demographic. You could do it by uh, geographic. You could do it in a lot of different ways. And then you put some money against it and you kind of see what happens. Uh, we suggest that you actually, I would say, boost about a post a week uh, for no more than three or five days. Usually that's 
kind of where the wear in and wear out period happens. And you start with something small, like a hundred to two hundred dollars. I mean, you're not having to expend a lot of money here, but you will be surprised if you're looking at your analytics about how the reach will dramatically shift for you. And what that does is that brings in new followers. It brings in new interests. It's a really great way of growing your your social following based on really relevant and good content. So this is for your good content. This is for something that's maybe working already well and or, uh, organically. Now, there are rules, um, Facebook and Instagram rules specifically related to boosting posts and, and the way that it has to be structured. So if you're trying to boost a post and, all, and it won't do it, there's probably some rule in there that's prohibiting you. There's some... Uh, imagery rules. There's some copy rules. Um, everything needs to be approved by them. Just give them a call um, and find out. It's a really great education process as well to to see uh, how do you boost posts and in the benefit of that. And again, this is like a test and learn process. See what works and and adjust it. And maybe you find that uh, you know this types of posts that when you boost them do really well, and these types of posts do not. But you will quickly see the amount of followers, the engagement, all that shift for you in a positive way uh, when you uh, actually boost posts. Yes. And and again, the, the brand piece, you know, we're going to beat you over the head with this, but it plays a really big role here too. So when you're choosing which ones to boost, make sure to the conversation we just had about trend versus brand that it fits really well within your message and that it's not going to just be like a flash in the pan type of right. situation where you get a good response because it's like, oh, everyone's talking about this. But if it has no relevancy, that's not going to have legs to do all the things that Ann just said, which is build authentic followers, expand your reach, get more people to engage with you regularly, fill in the blank, all of those things. So again, just make sure that it's brand relevant, not just trend worthy. Yes, that's a very good point. All right. So the next question, what are the biggest mistakes you're seeing people make in social? And I'll take this one. We've talked about some of this already today, but I think the overarching thing that we see is that social isn't being treated like a marketing channel to the point of the setup, right? If you are in marketing, you must know how to talk social. That is what we're talking about here. Because what we see is that it's either treated as a one-off or there's just mirroring of whatever's being put out there, or there's really no overall thought. I mean, all of those are symptoms of people saying, oh, I could do the social thing, and then just popping stuff up there. This is symptomatic of things where you see like the, the serial posters, right, where you wake up and you already know the first five things that someone did in the morning, and you're like, oh my gosh, why in the world? Do I need all of this information, right? Or the scratching your head posts, which we just had, where you come to expect something of a brand and they post something and you're like, what sense does that make for them? So this is really, again, symptomatic of not having that foundational brand strategy work or having it and not having the translation into the social strategy and the pillars and all of those things that we already talked about. The other big thing I would say here is mirroring channels and just posting the exact same thing. Um, there is some benefit to doing that here and there and maybe as you're getting started and that sort of thing. But we really recommend against that, especially as a long-term strategy, because as we said before, each channel is meant to do something different. And the types of communications that work on each channel 
really are very different from each other. And even if you're targeting the same person, if you happen to have, you know, the same person on Facebook and, and Instagram, even in that instance, they're looking for a different type of content than they're looking for on the other. So I think um, being mindful overall and then that idea of using social as a marketing channel, I mean, those are really the biggest mistakes. And then the way those come to life, I mean, we again, this is another thing we could talk about and point at all day long. I think the point we want to make here is if you're going to choose to be in social, keep in mind both the brand strategy and then what the channel is meant for. And if you're really not going to put the work against it, then it might not be beneficial for you to be there. Yeah. And I'll add two points. My my first one is if you, especially if you're a freelancer or a solopreneur, even if you're just a, you know, if you're the social media manager of you know, your company is do not personally indulge in your social channels. <laughs> yes. Um, and it goes back a little bit about the – it goes back a little bit about what we were saying about being intentional about what you post and making and, and, and that whatever you post is a reflection of your business. But there's so many people who decide to use it as their personal journal <laughs> or, you know, um, to make a point about something um, that's controversial or, you know, just to say, like, how bad their day was or how horrible this other person is. I mean, we've all seen it. We know what's going on. <laughs> um, but it does reflect on you as a person, which then reflects on your brand and your business. So if you're going to do that, fine, but just recognize the fact that it does have impact back on your business. So what we like to tell our clients too is that, you know, it's fine to have a personal Facebook page. Keep it private. Um, <laughs> you know, make sure that you're careful about who you're allowing to see that page. Uh, also, still be very careful about what you post on that page um, because you are your brand in in many ways. So um, that's, that's one. The other is... Um, I think the big mistake people make is the clickbait. Oh, yes. Um, and we used to make a joke that, uh, you know, if our brand, you know, the brand manager used to ask us and say, hey, um, how can I get more likes or engagement? It's like a naked woman, a puppy, <laughs> or a baby. Uh -huh. Those are your three ways of you <laughs> automatically getting people to like it. So we can do that, but that's not really on brand equity for us. <laughs> and then you can mash them all together like the Mountain Dew like Super Bowl ad where they had the monkey, what was it, the monkey baby, whatever, you know, something like that. Super creepy and yeah, weird. Yeah, it yes. was very creepy. But um, <laughs> it worked and it was memorable, so props to them. But I think those are the things you need to really watch out for because you'll be very inclined and it's it feels super easy just to do something like that in order to get the engagement. But as April said, it totally undermines your brand and it's um, it becomes a slippery slope when it, in, in terms of continuing to develop and please that following. It's the same thing about buying fans and buying followers with the quick deals, um, which could you get your followers up pretty quickly, but then it really becomes an anchor and holds your whole site down because all these people want are the next big deal and you're trying to give them content that they're going to appreciate, but you can't then get the algorithm to kick in based on your likes, your engagements, because um, your your percentage of following that's engaging is so low. So be mindful when you're creating posts that you have the the two objectives in mind, which is building your brand and then in building your engagement as you're doing that together. Definitely. Yeah. 
All right. And then our last in the trenches question, what about influencers and their social? When is the right time to leverage them? Um, and influencers are, are, are a really big topic. This is a really fabulous opportunity to extend your reach into uh, an audience space that you might not be able to authentically get into yourself. So, and that's when actually when you use influencers is you only use influencers because they have a, the ear of a following or a consumer that you think will be really important to you, but you can't really like authentically seem to get to, or you can't get their attention, or they just don't, maybe don't, they don't see that you're for them. So influencers can add an element of relevancy. They can add an element of credibility. They can uh, definitely push a call to action. If you're conscientious about who you partner with and what you want them to say with regards to your brand, we've all seen too the cut and paste accidents that happen when we, you know, when celebrities are hired in order to post tweets and stuff like that, and you know they forget to cut and paste, you know, a portion out, and it actually says, "Please insert your point of view here." And I mean, that's what they post. So you got to be really mindful that when you're engaging influencers, you got to do it in or in in a way that's going to allow the content to be fundamentally organic in their own voice because that's really what you're paying them for and that it's something that can live on their channels you can share it back to yours and it's really good to leverage that content back onto your channel but it's you really want it to live on there so so don't be you know overly anxious about making sure that um, it's your sale line that's in there or that it's your advertising point of view it's it's going to be in their voice but you can brief them about what's important for uh, for what messages you want to come through that's important for them to reflect and in most cases because you're paying them um, and that's really how you get most influencers on board now there's not a lot of free lunches anymore. You can review the copy and, and, and edit the copy, um, and usually that's uh, reflected in the contract that you have with influencers. So this, this is a really big topic. We'll definitely have another episode on influencers because it's one that we get asked about a lot. And there's definitely ways of doing this that will help facilitate really good interaction with your brand could really be very beneficial in order to to grow advocacy for your business. Um, but it takes some thought and some strategy and a well-laid brief um, mm-hmm. to get what you want out of it. And I think there's a timeliness to it as well. So brands that are in their infancy that are just starting out, in most cases, I would say, shouldn't jump right to influencer, right? Because they haven't established themselves yet in a way that is going to utilize that channel? Well, I think maybe or maybe not. I think it depends on how clear you are on your brand story. Yep. Um, because one of the ways that you can get some instant credibility is by partnering with somebody who's But you stole my relevant. words. That's my line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it can work, but if you're just using it as a fortuitous, like, pimp my brand, no, it doesn't work from that standpoint. It's, you can get blips in the radar. Mm-hmm. It happens. You've heard, the, you know, uh, I, I think it was one of the Kardashians in, mm-hmm. um, in, in the mattress. Um, I have that mattress, the Casper, Casper mattress. Yep. And she happened to show it, and, you know, they got, you know, sales. And then it was done. Yes. Right? So it, it needs to be thoughtful, um, especially if you're going to invest money. And if it happens just to be organic and they love your brand, yay. Yeah. Go for it. See what else you can do and how to leverage that. But um, it can work. you got to be really thoughtful about how it how you're going to approach it. Um, and, and it definitely can't be, you know, pimp my brand. 
Yeah, and I was going to, you know, like I said again, stole my thunder on the brand story piece. But <laughs> if <laughs> if you're going to do it, I that ties back again to having a really strong perspective and brand story of your own, especially if you're going to enlist a celebrity. Because Anne's example, I think, is exactly right. Like, you know, they happen to pick it up. The Kardashians posted about the mattress. Great. But it's super short term versus if you want a relationship with an influencer to be super authentic and ongoing, then you have to think through the lens of the brand, not the moment in time and what you're trying to do, you know, with that strategy. Um, And the other piece I think is when I see stuff from influencers, I feel like just make sure there isn't anything glaringly opposed to your brand. To Anne's point, they're going to put it in their own voice and they absolutely should do that. And their brand is providing a positive halo on yours. But for that very reason, just make sure that there isn't anything that you're like, "Mm, but this characteristic of this person is completely opposite of ours. So just just do a checks and balances when you're going to enlist someone and just think through the long-term implications of using that influencer. Right. Yeah. They they don't need to be just like you. Actually, no. you want them to be different. Right. But you should be aligned on the core principles and values that makes them a good spokesperson mm-hmm. for your brand. So exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for our third and final section, we always love to talk about who is doing this well. And I'm going to jump in now and say that I introduced Anne to this brand. So yay, go me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give you the props anyway, but okay. Um, So the brand that I chose that I believe is really, really doing it well is Kim Crawford Wine, and especially their Instagram. And I know it's not going to come to a big surprise to all of you guys that because you guys know we love our wine. We talk about it Uh all the time. Yes, and April did introduce me to this wine, and now I am a huge fan of New Zealand uh, Sauvignon Blancs because I I love the grapefruit flavor. Mm -hmm. So it was what I drank all summer. It's <laughs> what I drank all summer. You can rely on me for the wine recommendations. Oh yeah, yeah. Now we're now we're on to our red. So we'll share that in in, a, in an upcoming one. Um, but if you go to Kim Crawford's Instagram page, the first thing you'll notice is the quilt. And you know, by when we say quilt, we mean like the way that all their imagery kind of knits together to tell the story. That was is really a fundamental part of the strategy, and that's what we said why you do the conversation calendar. And you're going to see, like, because it's done so well, it starts to see a very clear brand story and tone of voice coming from this. I, I, my, my immediate reaction is like it's it's classy, it's um it's approachable, but it looks like it should taste really good, and it definitely does taste good. So they win on that. But you start seeing like these, this female that a lot of like females may aspire to to be like. Like I said, she's a little, she's put together, she's a little sophisticated. It starts to feel like um, a uh, a way to uh, indulge myself, but not be overly like overly indulgy, if mm-hmm. you will. You know, so it's it's just a nice everyday kind of like. There's always an occasion for this wine. And it's the style and the type of person that feels a lot like me. So it feels very relatable. Yeah. And I would just jump in and say that from a a tier strategy of wine, they are, to Anne's point, 
all wine should feel classy, right? That's kind of a kind of a category thing. But the thing that they do well is they know that their wine is in a price category where it's a little high for like the Tuesday night glass of wine, but it's not so high that you might, you know, have a bottle with friends once a week, right? And so when they're cultivating that experience, you heard Ann say it is classy, but it's still approachable. And I think that goes right down to the occasion. And you can tell they're smart. They've done their work. When are people drinking this wine? Mm -hmm. They're not so highbrow that they think like, oh, it's only special occasion and, you know, champagne cheers and that kind of thing. But they also know that it's a touch above the casual wine drinker. And so they, they've done their work. You can see it when you start to dissect it to really know who they're talking to. Yeah, I totally agree. And the other thing that they do really, really well is really represent the whole brand visual and the mm-hmm. whole brand, um, the verbal toolkit all the way through. It's probably no accident that they named the wine a female name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the actual Kim Crawford name means anything, but it is you know, interesting that it's a female name. It definitely appeals more to a female demographic. Definitely. There's no doubt. But it's a, I mean, it, 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 she's cool. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like it's somebody who you want, you know, to be your friend. And so if you actually look at the um, Instagram kill, you'll start seeing some of the content pillars come to life in the way that really reinforce that. So um, as April said, there is an ideal pairing for any occasion. Like it's, it's very clear. Like whatever your girlfriend occasion is, they have a, um, a positioning for that that works and that dem- that kind of gives you the okay, you mm-hmm. know, to drink it whenever mm-hmm. you want, right? Yep. Um, there's also the women of Kim Crawford or or somebody that looks like that, right? It 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 shows a women again in that lifestyle kind of like imagery of like this really cool, sophisticated, classy woman who's you know in all these different situations. Like, yeah, I kind of like to hang out with her. Well, I do. I, I mean, that's you, April, right? <laughs> um, so it's you, since like you, you introduced so. me to it, so I'll, I'll give you, you you're the one of the women of Kim Crawford. Um, but there's also a sophisticated, classy style to it. So. Where most people might just say, this is lifestyle imagery. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really worked hard to cla- to actually cultivate an imagery that works for them. This is their photography, the positioning, the way that the wine is is showcased in, in all of the imagery. It's definitely highlighted. It, it becomes a, uh, a hero of the imagery. But it definitely follows their whole brand tone of voice. It's classy. It's sophisticated. It's... Everything's very clean, but it has these elements in it that are, you know, like there's a splash of color or some fine lines. You would be able to describe it better than them. You're the, you're the art one and the creative <laughs> person. But um, it, it's really intentionally cultivated, and it knits together into a story and a tone of voice that makes a, a lot of sense. They also are really good at using influencers. Um, they partnered with the U.S. Open, I believe. And it was phenomenal the way that they did it. That became integrated into their content pillars from the women of Kim Crawford, the occasions. Uh, and some of that was about some of their best performing posts. And so it's not just like throwing it out there, like back to the influencers for the sake of getting an influencer. It was well integrated, well constructed, mm-hmm. making sure it it flowed through in their specifically um, uh, strategized content pillars in a way that still fit their style and their tone of voice. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that point, right, that brings to light the whole 
doing it intentionally against your brand and using your pillars to leverage the influencer versus the other way around. Agree. Agree. Okay. Well, that's all we have for you in this episode about how to build a successful social strategy and what are the four elements of that. And so with that, go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.